0: You're listening to Halford and Bruff.
1: They fake it to him left. They fake McCaffrey right. They throw to Kendall over the middle. Five touchdown. Sand. Francisco!
0: We really, it felt like we gave them 14 points in the game, you know, and, and uh, you know they may have earned it another way. I don't, don't want to take anything away from their win. It's a nice win for them. To come up here and get us up here, it's a big deal. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend.
1: Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Sweet, sweet Friday. It is Alfred. It is Brough. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Andy, good morning to you. Good morning. And Greg, good morning to you.
2: Weird, but hello. Yeah,
1: I used your normal names today. How are you guys doing? Everybody? How's everybody doing? How are you feeling there, boss? I'm doing all right. Yeah, good. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Halford and Brough of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate dealer today. I'm starting to use Boss a lot more.
0: Yeah, I don't like that. We hey are boss. coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. I've started to throw in pal. Pal's not bad. Because I uh, use buddy way too much. You hey, do. buddy. And then, so I got hey, a pal. buddy Yeah, I got a buddy here. Uh, well, no, I'll say that in in a text, too. Like, thanks, buddy, that sort of thing. Um, so, but pal sometimes sounds a little bit rude. you like, all right, pal. If you... Uh, punctuate at the end with pal like that, like Like, yeah, PayPal. But if you
1: start with pal, it's a whole new thing. I'm trying to work big guy in there a little bit more. You know what? I'm gonna there's the big
0: guy. I'm gonna start using kimosabi.
1: That's that's a good one
0: actually. (laughs) Okay, kimosabi.
1: Yeah, it throws people off guard. They don't know what to say. It's like, do I bow? Uh, Okay, we got a lot to get to today on the program. It's a big show. It's a Friday show. It's gonna begin at 6:30 with Peter Galindo. International man of mystery. Two weeks ago, we talked to Peter. He was in Qatar. Last week, we talked to Peter. He was in Toronto. Today, we will speak to Peter. Guess where he's coming to us live from?
0: The Bahamas. No,
1: Ireland. Oh. Yeah. What's he doing there? Just on vacation? Yes. Oh, cool. He took a vacation after going to the World Cup in Qatar. Uh, We're going to talk to Peter about the World Cup final, of course. Sunday, 7 a.m., Argentina, France. It's going to be uh, about as star-studded. A World Cup final as you can get. It is Mbappe versus Messi. We'll talk to Peter about all that at six thirty. I also kind of want to do a t- the tiniest look ahead to the twenty. 20- 24 World, sorry, 2026 World Cup and what it will look like with a 48 team field because a lot of people are writing about that now, given that this World Cup is coming to a close and they're going to hand the torch to Canada, Mexico and the U.S. for the next World Cup. Uh, 7 o'clock, Brady Henderson, ESPN, NFL Nation. We will look back on a very disappointing loss that the Seattle Seahawks suffered last night on Thursday Night Football at home. To the San Francisco 49ers, the 49ers clinched a division. The Seahawks no longer control their playoff destiny. To be quite frank, I don't think there's much of a destiny to fulfill for this football team. They don't team.
0: deserve to control their playoff destiny.
1: They don't deserve to be in the playoffs the way they've played over the last four games, to be perfectly honest. Last night was not terrific either. We'll talk to Brady Henderson about that at 7. 7.30, Chris Faber. That much-anticipated Lane Peterson hit is finally going to come to fruition today. Uh, we'll talk to Fabes about what's going on with the Vancouver Canucks affiliate in Abbotsford. We'll talk about Lane Peterson, who's scoring goals, almost at a goal of the game clip. Uh, we'll talk to him about everything else as well. We can also do a look ahead to tomorrow's game against the Jets, which, by the way, we are giving tickets away to today. We're giving away a pair of tickets to go see the Canucks and Jets. More about that in a second. I'm, I'm still going through the guest list here. 7.45, Mitch Jones from the Vancouver Warriors. Now, the Warriors have their uh, home opener tonight. Are you going to
0: go? Are you going to be in attendance for this one? Yeah, I've got my uh, night out with my uh, hockey team tonight, and we're going to be in the party zone (laughs) at Rogers Arena for the
1: Warriors game. Nice. Okay, I hope you guys get fun hats to wear. Uh, Mitch Jones at 745 is going to join us to preview tonight's game. Uh, 8 o'clock, it's the Moj. Bob the Moj Marjanovic is going to join us. Uh, We'll whip around the NFL, look ahead to this Sunday's action. So again, working in reverse, 8, Moj, 745, Mitch Jones, 730, Chris Faber. 7 o'clock, Brady Henderson, 6:30, Peter Galindo. We are also going to do Ask Us Anything Friday today. We are also going to do our play now locks of the week. We're giving away tickets. It's Food Bank Friday. Could we jam any more into this show, Jason?
0: No, I mean it's hard enough to jam Moj into anything.
1: <laughs> let's let's move along now. Moj on, on line three, Moj on line three. That was quick. Uh let's tell everybody what happened yesterday.
0: Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No, no. what happened? I missed all the
1: I think this might be the first time all season that we've started a show leading off with the Seahawks. It's been such a busy winter. It's always been Canucks or it's always been the World Cup or something, but the Seahawks were front and center last night and ah, it didn't go so well. Uh, Brock Purdy, an emerging star in this league. Threw for a pair of touchdown passes to George Kittle. Niners won their first NFC West title since 2019. They did it in the exact same fashion, beating the Seahawks to do it. Uh, this time it was 21-13 on Thursday Night Football. Uh, I know that you took this one in, and I know that you weren't thoroughly impressed. Like a lot of people that were watching the Seahawks last night, they made it close at the end. I almost feel like an eight-point margin didn't really tell the story of that entire game at the end of it, but it is what it is, and the Seahawks are now uh, hanging on to their playoff lives, if the playoff lives exist anymore.
0: I'm, I'm, I'm more upset with you because um, as didn't, Mike— I didn't do anything. At, yeah, you did. Yeah. As Mike, the urologist from Brockville, points out, you told us all that once NFL coaches get some tape on Brock Purdy— Mm-hmm. That he'll be easy to beat because he is a rookie quarterback. Um, mm-hmm. He looked pretty good last night against the Seahawks. Did Pete Carroll not get any tape on him? Or Short week. Short week. Oh, is that why? They couldn't download the VHS tapes quick enough. He looked pretty solid. I mean, Diggs dropped a pick that it, that sh- it should have been intercepted, and that wasn't a great, he looked good great take... throw he, by he Purdy, looked but... He looked
1: pretty good beating up on what is a terrible terrible defense. Okay, I'm ready man. to We're... classify the Seahawks as a terrible
0: defense. Yeah, man. Now. But but he looked good last week against uh Tampa Bay as well. And 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 I think I think you should you should give him some props for what what he's done because yeah, it's great. Yeah, no no, it's no, great. No, it's it's an it's an incredible story um in the making. Now, I, whether or not it plays out remains to be seen, but Brock Purdy, third-string quarterback, Mr. Irrelevant in the draft last year, Mhm quarterback at Iowa State and he is now going to be expected to take the Niners to a Super Bowl like those are the expectations will the Eagles or the Cowboys or the, <laughs> the Vikings standing the way of him yeah they will and you know I think the Eagles are probably the favorites or if if not them the, the Cowboys but you watched the Niners last night that is a team that has an incredible defense yeah a bunch of weapons, some of which weren't even dressed for last night's game. Mm-hmm. Debo didn't play, but he will for the playoffs. And Brock Purdy, a young quarterback who looks very comfortable. Mm-hmm. And he, he looked very comfortable in a very tough place to play. Yes, it's a bad defense, but it was still really loud in Seattle. And other quarterbacks, other young quarterbacks, rookie quarterbacks, might have gone to pieces and even against that defense.
1: Yeah, I, I, it was great. I mean, he's definitely put into a good situation as far as being an untested rookie quarterback because he's got a really nice option in Christian McCaffrey. He's got other weapons around him and Ayuk. He's obviously got a good offensive line because I don't think the Seahawks breathed on him yesterday. The biggest X factor in all this might be that Kyle Shanahan's one of the more creative and better play callers in the league. I give him a lot of credit. The double pass fake touchdown down the seam, down the middle of the Kittle, yeah. That was a, an amazing design, mm-hmm. amazing execution by Purdy. Like That's not easy to do. I know you think, well, I could go out there and pump fake twice. You'd probably fumble. It would slip out of your hand on one of those pump fakes. Yeah, well, whoa, well, well, but I mean to throw that. But he got the job done. But I look at that game last night, and my biggest takeaway was um, Seattle. They're just not
0: good enough. Yeah, they're going to have to win all three of their remaining games to get to ten wins, and one of those, the next one, is a trip to Kansas City. Will nine wins get it done? That's poss- possible, I suppose. Depends what the Giants, the Commanders, and all of a sudden the Detroit Lions do. Um, but that also assumes that the Seahawks can actually take care of business at home against the Jets and the Rams. Which is no guarantee right now. Those losses to the Raiders and the Panthers really did hurt them. And as you have said, and as it's become completely obvious to anyone, um, those losses also exposed a defense that needs to get a lot better. Yep. And I think the debate in Seattle now is what do you do in the draft with these top picks? You cannot afford to blow this top pick that you're going to get from the Denver Broncos. And also the the pick of your own, which is probably going to be pretty high, especially if you miss the playoffs, you're going to yep. be in the middle of the round regardless, I guess. Um, we went into this season thinking, okay, be bad enough that, you can draft a quarterback. You can be in the conversation for CJ Stroud or Bryce Young or whoever it is. Sure. But now I think there's a lot of people that are like, you know what? You can probably have Geno as your quarterback for one more year.
1: Fix this defense. Fix the
0: defenses. And, yeah. And that would follow really the pattern of and you don't have to follow the pattern but it would follow the pattern of the last really good Seahawks team remember they were building something on defense and yeah. they were they 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 had they Russell Wilson was kind of like the last piece
1: yeah and he was, That's a, third a, li- ra- and he was a third round pick right
0: a- and so. it and it was a total surprise it yep. wasn't even supposed to be him it was supposed to be what who Matt Flynn that they brought over right. um and you you never know when your where your quarterback is going to come from now I think uh, assuming that you're going to be able to find uh, an elite quarterback in the third round is a little, like, you probably shouldn't do that. And the Seahawks might get to a point where they do need to find so just wait
1: They could wait until the last pick of the draft and find their franchise quarterback, apparently, because
0: that's what we're doing now. But Mike. I but I think I think they'd be smarter just to uh, fix the defense first. I'm with you on that. You know, don't, well,
1: no, I'm having said
0: that, Unless there's a quarterback that they, they really, really like. Because you really have to go with your gut and you have to go with your instinct. If there is a, if they are in a position to draft a quarterback, let's say they really like Bryce Young for whatever reason, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm just pulling his name out yeah, of the yeah, hat. Yeah, yeah. I know there's a bunch of quarterbacks available. Let's say they really, really like him. And they think, like, Pete is like, this is the guy I want. I can't think of anything more that I like in a quarterback than this guy Then take him. Mm-hmm. But – you got to put him in a position to succeed.
1: Yeah, and they they are in a pretty good spot, all things considered. Like we're not talking about taking um, a rookie quarterback, the quarterback of the future, and then throwing him into a situation like what Trevor Lawrence had in his rookie year in Jacksonville, which was an unmitigated disaster, almost a waste of a year. Essentially, uh, the Seahawks have a really good offensive line. Right? Uh, I don't think so. They've been good this year. They no, were. Really, I mean, yesterday. No, were, yesterday ro- wasn't great. They no, got. The, they. They rebuilt. No, dis- they got- I disagree
0: with that. I think they've still got a way to. They've got a way to go. They got two rookie tackles that are still learning the NFL, and I think they got a lesson from the NFL last night. Um, I think Gino has at times, especially in the last month, been under a little too much pressure. But I think it's better than what anyone that has ever been drafted by the Jets has dealt with. For example.
1: Yeah, I mean, I look. I just look at it in that they spent draft capital to improve the line. The rookies have been exceptionally good. They're going Four to rookies. They're they're going to get better. It's a good. I don't even know why we're arguing about this in particular. The point. The, the larger point of it is: um, Are you? Would you go quarterback or defense? And it, I would even take a step back. They did play a game last night, and the season's still technically alive. Uh, I look at that game more of. And I kept thinking about this, like, it's been such a particularly odd season to cover this team and watch and be a fan of. Because, I think again, we all go back to the beginning of the year expectations. If you had told me that at this stage of the season, they'd be 7-7 seven and seven with a chance at the playoffs, I'd be like, yeah, that's a success, given all- what the expectations were for this group. I didn't no expectations going into week one. Mm-hmm. And you know where I really didn't have expectations was after week two when they got throttled by San Fran. They-, they got yeah. it put on them. And I remember thinking, okay, that's what the best teams in the NFC look like. I do wonder where the Seahawks stack up here. They're seven and seven now. And at this stage of the season, I think you could say two or three things with pretty good confidence. Um, one, Geno's overachieved. He's been great. He's hit a wall the last few weeks, but I don't really think that's necessarily all on him. I think. Kenneth Walker's injury and his sort of ineffectiveness has been a problem.
0: I think. Well, part of that is the offensive line. Yeah. Not to bring it back to to that. But I just, I, I, I you know, I, I I think the run blocking. Did you see the run blocking that the Niners had for McCaffrey on a couple plays? Like, they were opening yeah. up massive holes. Now, the, granted, that's against that's the Seahawks. Seahawks
1: defense. Yeah. That, well, that, that was my second point right now is that of all the things that I thought would undo the Seahawks this year, mm. I did not think that defense would be number one, and by like a considerable amount. Like it's just not good enough to be a playoff team right now. I can't under I can't understate the look at when they got to six and three. They went down to they went down to Arizona. They beat the Cardinals. Cardinals aren't a great team, but it's a win on the road against the divisional foe. And you're six and three at that point. You've got a neutral site game against Tampa Bay, who isn't good, and you blow that one. But even then, you're thinking the okay. Seahawks have
0: such a bad defense that they have to win the turnover battle. Mm-hmm. So when Diggs dropped that interception, and when Travis Homer fumbled, you're putting yourself in a real big hole that they weren't. Well, able that's to a climb really good point of, too. Right? Like
1: they're not good enough to make the mistakes that they make. That Homer uh, turnover at the end of the first half was, I mean, it was a killer in the context. I'm not, I'm not sure they were good enough to beat San Fran. Period. But that is, that was a killer for them because it turned around. And the Niners were able to punch in the points before the half to go up 14-3, to right? But Uh, I go go back to it. I mean, getting run on as badly as they did in Germany, having a bye to clean it up, and then coming back and getting run on even worse by Jacobs and the Raiders. mm -hmm. Right there, you're saying, okay, that's a problem. Because it's not necessarily a schematic thing. It's do you have the personnel to do it? Um, Quandre Diggs? That was not a good performance on primetime last night. Like, I don't know if he's got contract negotiations coming up, but if he does, he might want to burn the tape on that. He had drop the dropped interception, which could have been a game changer. The tackling on the second Kittle touchdown was poor. Their tackling in general Their tackling is poor. Is terrible. They're just, I mean, they're just not good enough. Unfortunately, they've they have overachieved. They've been plucky. They've been resilient. They, at times this season, they've been a great story. But in the end, usually talent wins out. And you look at last night's game, and it was Dre Greenlaw in defense and Christian McCaffrey on offense were probably the two best players on the field, and they made the difference.
0: The Canucks will practice this morning out at uh, UBC. They host the Winnipeg Jets on Saturday, followed by two more home games at Rogers Arena, which isn't the best news considering how they've played at Rogers Arena. The Jets are having a great season under new coach Rick Bonus, And after removing the captaincy from Blake Wheeler, remember that the Jets' off season, in a lot of ways, mirrored the Canucks' offseason in that we went into the off season, and here in Vancouver, we expected some pretty significant changes. And I think the people in Winnipeg expected some pretty significant changes. For example, maybe the trading of Blake Wheeler. Um, so why have the Jets had success and the Canucks haven't? Well, it, ke- it comes down to keeping the puck out of your own net. Whether that's Rick Bonus and his coaching, maybe the system's changed a little bit, but more likely it's just that Connor Hellebuck has been really good and Thatcher Demko was not for the Vancouver Canucks. There are other things that the Jets have done. Josh Morrissey has taken to taken his game to another level, and we mentioned that yesterday, how he's over a point a game, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden he's in the Norris Trophy conversation, um, plus, they've got the usual suspects up front, and they've produced, including Dubois, by the way, mm-hmm. who's a point-a-game guy. Ever since
1: he announced he's going to be leaving in two years.
0: I think That's Josh really Morrissey might have the most points on the team, though, which is incredible. But yeah. Kyle Connor uh, is producing. You've got Mark Scheifele. You don't have Nick Ehlers because he's got a hernia, and I think he's only played two games this season. Um all that being said, I'm interested to watch the Jets tomorrow because I do feel like the the old annoying S word has lingered over Winnipeg and not the S word that you're thinking of. Sustainable oh, okay. is the word that you're thinking of. Um well, I think now. there's a lot of people that are going, are they just a product of Connor Hellebuck? You know, the same question that people were asking of the Canucks late last season. Are they just a product of Thatcher Demko playing really well, mm-hmm. and that answer has kind of been answered, or that question has kind of been answered this year, and the answer was yes. Um, I think it's sustainable as long as Hellebuck stays healthy and keeps giving them Vesna caliber goaltending. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Riddich is their backup, and his numbers are not great, yeah. and whenever I see... One goalie on the same team with really good numbers, and another goalie on that same team with really bad numbers. That's really proof to me that that goalie is playing well, because you know it's not it's not necessarily a system thing. Then, right? Um, I think Hellebuck. I think we, you know, Laddie. What do you Lattie, think of this analysis? Laddie will agree that Hellebuck is one of the elite goalies in the NHL.
2: I'm just sitting there with my head in my hands saying that I'm I'm usually the one with the uh, the bad numbers in, right. in the combo. Right. Your proof of concept.
0: Right. Yeah. Your proof, proof, proof of concept. But yeah, yeah. It,
2: I agree. It's usually a good uh, good litmus test when you're you're looking to compare. Uh, look look at the the combo. I'm right.
1: surprised that Riddich is still in the NHL to be honest. He's, I'm not. I, he's had such just...
2: a small sample. How many games has he played in the last 2 years?
1: Yeah, he he was he was really bad in in Nashville. Yeah. yeah. and then, yeah, is that a bad season? I don't even know that. Yeah. <laughs> well, when Soros got hurt oh, last right. year. right. Yeah, yeah. It was between him and then they put Connor Ingram in that. and then They're uh, like,
0: and we've got big save Dave here. Yeah.
1: It was, they did an air quote, so like, here's big save. <laughs> you, got, you got one of those big Dave. saves in you, Dave? Um, got one? Nate Schmidt got hurt last night, by the way, and the Jets' 2-1 win over the Predators. I'm going to be perfectly honest uh, as we peel back the Halford and Bruff show and, and show you how the sausage is made. I paid zero attention to the Jets this year. I keep looking at their record every time, and I'm like, "Wow!" And I, and I think we ask the same question about is this sustainable? Because I don't even know what's sustainable. I I've don't been know. told
2: they play in Winnipeg. Well, yeah, that's a cold. The, city. the goalies are such a big, a big you know catalyst in all this. What what would you do if, if Demko and Hellebook switch places this year? Would would the Canucks be where the Jets ah, are right now, or the Jets be where the Canucks are? Like, there's honestly, they've
1: obviously had some shifts in the way that they approach the game in terms of structure. I think that's partly why they brought in. Rick Bonus. I don't know exactly how the Maurice thing ended, other than he just kind of up and left. And I do wonder if that's because whatever he was saying just wasn't sinking in, or they just weren't following instructions. It happens, right? When you tune a coach out, you tend to tune out everything. Like I don't but, need to But Bonus
0: coming in was kind of a, an odd move. Wasn't well, it? they tried to get Barry Trotz, and then yeah. they're like, "We also like you, Rick."
1: Yeah, you're like Barry Trotz light, so we'll bring you in. I think the idea was bring in a guy that. I mean, what Bonus did in uh, Dallas was, you know, a little bit more low event, a little bit more structure. He's been around for a long time. The crazy part is that he's missed a bunch of time this year with COVID. They have, it was a Scott O'Neill that's been the, the interim there. Um, but Winnipeg, for all that they've done this year, should be talked about more because we talk about the Canadian team so incessantly. But it feels like, and I don't know if this is just reflective of the Halford and Bruff show, but we kind of tend to focus on the ones that are struggling. Yeah. The ones that aren't doing well.
0: Yeah, the the good teams are boring. We don't
1: like to celebrate nineteen nine and one, which is what the Jets are going into tomorrow night's game. That's that's easy. Yeah, I just bring up,
0: yeah, but is this sustainable? <laughs> yeah. <it> was- <laughs> now, about the Battle of Alberta, they will suck. Like, that's how that's the that. are
2: 59-9-1, and one, but is <laughs> it sustainable? But is it sustainable? <laughs> you know get- what?
0: I how think bad things care? are coming to them.
1: <laughs> I would also say one of the most unpredictable and unlikely scenarios that I saw when they stripped Blake Wheeler of the captaincy that didn't have a captain is that they'd get way better because of it. Right. That's a weird dynamic to and me. And he'd still be on the team. And he's kind of he's playing well. He's got 26 points in 29 games. Weather do you think
2: there can be a bit of a dividing character, though, from what I, it sounds like? But in it's the just room. like
1: okay. Here's you my know. thought on it. Um, I know that the captaincy matters, and I know it's an important thing. But it's just it's almost comical to me that. The guy he remains the same. His name's still Blake Wheeler. He's probably still the same guy. But it's like you just remove a letter from his jersey, and all of a sudden the team's like, "That's what we needed." Do you and think we take off
0: now that he's not captain? He has to like raise his hand in the room if he wants to speak. <laughs> yeah.
1: He has to wait in line for stuff.
0: As your former captain, uh, shut I was just up, wondering. Blake. <laughs>
1: there's
2: a talking stick now.
1: I maybe yeah, honestly yeah. the conch gets
2: passed
0: around you I sit don't in know. their game. no one wants to talk to me I'm not the captain anymore maybe. I was under the impression that I would still be part of the leadership group here <laughs>
1: yeah like I that's but what, like, what I was told talking. all these jokes we're making though there's like actually real questions yeah. that I have about this I'm like how does it work that everything just got better it's an interesting dynamic right I've seen it on other teams before I mean, San Jose. I remember they had that rotating stripping of the captain, mm-hmm. where they just kind of went around and gave. It's like now it's Marlowe's turn, now it's Thornton's turn. They, they had to come yeah. out
0: and publicly shame them after every playoff <laughs> loss, <laughs>
1: right? And, and then I don't, I just, I don't know. But and Winnipeg is significantly better than they were last year, and I know that they were very upset with how last year went. Like they all to a man felt like they woefully underachieved. Remember, they Frank Savelli mm-hmm. Stanley Cup pick going into last season, so I get that there was probably going to be some bounce back. But I mean, this is one of the teams now if you look in the Western Conference, um, I'd be shocked if they didn't make the playoffs at this point. And you've got to say with the goaltending that they've got, they present a pretty scary matchup for anybody.
0: All right, we gotta get to uh our friend Peter Galindo in just a few minutes, talk a little bit about the World Cup final this weekend. But uh I'm gonna go around the room here, guys. Was McDavid offside last night?
1: No. No. He you wasn't. think he had possession? Yeah.
0: Does the NHL need to define possession and control?
1: (laughs) I didn't even need to finish the question. Yes.
0: Yeah, because I watched that and I was like, oh, I think he's offside. I think what what I said in my mind was I think he put himself offside when I initially saw that. But I understand. I fully understand all the people that are like, what do you mean? Like he remained in control of it. Mm. I thought he put himself offside. Now there's a lot of. Uh, people looking back to the Kale Macar offside, and that was that was different because that was essentially remember what the conclusion in in that was was that no. Kale Macar essentially dumped the puck in for like three feet, allowing was it Nishushkin yes. to clear the zone and then regained possession. So in both those cases, they were saying that so the McDavid case and the Macar case, they were saying that possession was given up in the Macar case. Possession was given up, allowing the play to be onside. In the McDavid case, possession was given up and that put him offside. So I think what right now is the problem. Am I right here? Am I like, it's very confusing. Can you I realize explain that? Can I'm you explain to, that whole thing I'm, again I'm from starting the start? to confuse myself a little bit. I think that's part of the problem, is it not? But I think that, yeah, I think, well, no, I think. <laughs> I think what we need to dis- d- define, and the NHL needs to do a better job of, uh, unless I'm missing something, and I would ask the listeners. No, it to, is confusing. It's like, very confusing. What is control and possession? Yeah. Well, that's like I remember that matter. Macar thing. I've watched a
2: lot of hockey in my days, and uh, that McCart thing. I remember, like, like, I have no idea what they're going to call here. This is so weird. Yeah. So w-
0: one of the things that y- you're taught as as a kid playing hockey, and Gretzky used to do this, is that when you're trying to gain some speed. Um, push the puck in front of you, right? If you've got space, right? It's called, like you do one hand push in front of you and the puck goes like 10 feet in front of you. And this is obviously when um, you don't have anyone around you, right? I'm not not telling any of the Canucks to push the puck in front of them in their own zone, right? Listen up, kids. He's coaching. But, but then, you, then you start to build up your speed without the puck and you, you gradually catch up to the puck, right? Have you given up possession there? Are you still in control of that puck? What do you say? Well, I don't know.
2: Technically, no, I so would say the, no. Like,
0: you're in control of the puck. Like, you're. The put it's like those... banking
2: it off the boards to yourself. Yeah. You're not in possession well, while exactly. you're banking it. Well,
0: that's a great example. Yeah. When you bank the puck off the boards to yourself, are you still in possession, or have you temporarily given up possession? Because no, you're
2: in possession as long
0: as nobody takes it away from you. I don't agree. I, I, don't think, you, I think you've lost possession. If someone no nails you with a
2: body check, that's, that's an illegal I, body
0: check. I think when, you've, I think when you're, you're banking the puck off the, the wall, you've given up possession. You're, you're taking a risk that you've given up possession and that you're going to regain it. But when I watched McDavid come over the line yesterday, I was kind of like, I don't know. I don't know if that. I mean, originally my mind said, okay, he's put himself offside, but. I can understand the people that were like, yeah, he's still in possession of the pocket. I'm going to play it's, devil's advocate it's, here. Well, it's it's very confusing. Tack,
2: but it, it, I want to say that it was a great defensive play in all of this. It's lost by Ryan O'Reilly. He forced him at the line with the stick check, mm-hmm. forced him to make a move at the line, which is what you're trying to do when you right. force a guy at the blue line didn't, to put him offside. So of, you O'Reilly, think he was offside? Think I he think was offside. he was offside. I mean, uh, he, he was, technically. O'Reilly didn't touch a puck, right? No, but he did a sweeping check, which forced McDavid to pull his hands, hands
1: back. So it, let's say in this scenario, you guys are talking about, I'm just going to do all the devil's advocate questioning here. Uh, you bank the puck off the boards to yourself. So you're saying you aren't possessing the puck in that moment? Correct. You've
0: given up possession.
1: Okay. Has anyone taken possession?
2: No, but it can be non-possessed. So possession. there's
1: there's three different states. Giving up of,
2: possession is free play.
1: There's three different states of puck. <laughs> there's possession,
0: unpossessed, and then opponent's possession. Correct. And then there's Zen puck. What's that? It's a possession of life itself. When the that puck makes is, it more when the puck is
2: possessed and starts attacking you. So right. to
1: enter the zone, you need to possess the puck. You have and to be, then you have to be touching it. You, so you have to, or be touching, it could enter in, front or of you. if it enters in yeah. before you.
2: But the argument is but like, well, nobody was near you. him;
0: you still had possession. Like, so that's you're the saying when you area, right? when
1: you bank it off the boards, the moment until it hits the boards, you're in possession of it because it's in front of you. But no. the moment it no, banks, the moment it no, it leaves no, you're your not.
0: Stick. The moment it leaves your stick, you're out of possession of it.
1: So then you have to have your stick when it, you're crossing the blue line. Yes. Well, that has to go unless you're like you. skating forward and it's an inch off your stick. But that's kind of what the. But it has to. But the puck has to be touching your stick. Not technically, no.
2: Not if you're pushing it slightly that's in front. What, that's, it. What, yeah, a, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's right. They not don't push it slightly okay, ahead. Okay,
1: so I'm glad we did this exercise yes. because the answer it's is clear. The NHL does not have a rule on what constitutes possession.
0: No. And control. And control, control is probably yeah. the key word. Though, and, right?
1: and, and, and shockingly, the NHL has not cleared this up. The same mm-hmm. league that has no idea what goalie interference is yeah. on a night to night basis. One thing's basis.
0: control,
2: the other thing it's isn't. It's, almost, it's very weird. Yeah,
1: it's almost like they opened a Pandora's box once and then we're like, oh no, here come the unintended consequences. Like I could
2: see why McDavid's frustrated. I mean, he totally had possession of the puck technically he didn't but nobody was taking it away from him so I, I get it it's very frustrating when, when this rule came in for the review of offsides I said the one thing players should do is just make it extra sure that you're onside be extra sure take that extra step if you're the other guy entering the zone on the other side of the ice take that extra step and just be that extra step behind because if they make a move you know it's going to get called. It's so scrutinized now with the review. The the entire purpose
1: of the last 10 minutes, for those of you that don't have the brains to figure it out, is that it was intentionally confusing and a muddled conversation because that's exactly what it is. Nobody has any idea what constitutes possession in the NHL, including the players. And Connor McDavid's audio from last night, which we could have played, but we're out of time, he said, well, the rules change from night to night based on what someone thinks is possession and what someone thinks isn't. That is a problem. That is a problem because once they opened up offside reviews, once they started doing this, the Pandora's box was opened as to a lot of different things which suddenly might be offside and might not be. And this is probably going to rear its ugly head at a really bad time in the playoffs, which I actually look forward to because we get to talk about it again. Okay, we got to go. Coming back, World Cup Final on Sunday between Argentina and France. Peter Galindo from Sportsnet is going to join us to break it all down. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. 6.37 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Halford Bruv, Sportsnet 650. Alfred and Breath of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, Peter Galindo from Sportsnet is going to join us in just a second here as we preview the World Cup final on Sunday. Before he does, I need to tell you about Food Bank Friday. Sportsnet 650 is teamed up with the Greater Vancouver Food Bank to present Food Bank Friday. That's today, Friday, December 16th. This is a virtual event that raises important funds for accessible. Healthy and sustainable food for individuals and families. We are accepting donations until tonight, 6 p.m. our time. Uh, go to Sportsnet650 on Twitter. You'll see the information for donations there. Go to sportsnet.ca forward slash 650 on the internet. You can donate there as well. Or I'll make this really simple for you. You can text your donations. 30333 is the number. Are you doing it right now? Are you tech? Jason Bruff, ladies right and now. gentlemen.
0: This is the power of live radio. Yeah, doing it right now. He's donating live what right a, now. What is uh? What is what are the what are the numbers? Uh,
1: text a carrot emoji for a five dollar donation. Text mm-hmm. a banana emoji for ten dollars, and a heart for twenty five dollars. I donated. mean, it's
0: one banana, Michael. What could it cost? Okay, first $10? of all,
1: they never they can never change the value of the banana emoji don- denomination. Now
0: you you owe a banana emoji based on our bet over the France Morocco game. Yes. And because I like being right about those things, I'm just going to text a heart in. There's a heart. And I think we should all do this if we can. I know it's tough times for a lot of people right now. But if you can, this is a great cause. I mean, what can be a better cause than giving people food to eat?
1: Yes. Uh, I I owe a banana emoji after predicting that Morocco would upset France in the semifinal. I'm going to raise it to three. Three bananas, Jason. What does three bananas cost these
0: days? Uh, $30. $30. Thank you, everybody. Okay, donate to the food bank.
1: Bottom line, donate to the food bank. Let's go to the phone lines. We are joined now by the International Jet Setter himself, Sportsnet Soccer Analyst Peter Galindo here on the Halford & Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning,
3: Peter. Where in the world are you right now? I'm now in Ireland. We'll see what happens in terms of where I am tomorrow, I guess. Because, yeah, I'm making everybody guess in terms of my location these days.
1: Yeah, it's remar- I've never seen anyone travel so much in a short period of time. You went Qatar, Toronto, Ireland in the span of three days, I think. So kudos to you. Good job. Uh, while doing all this traveling, you still managed to analyze and break down everything that's gone on at the FIFA World Cup in Qatar. Now we're down to the final after this near month-long tournament. And it's a, a really a tantalizing, mouth-watering, blue-blood soccer royalty affair here between Argentina and France. Um, let's get a real quick preview out the door before we get into the nitty gritty. Everyone's going to be focused on a couple obvious narratives. One is going to be Messi versus Mbappe. Another one is going to be, can France repeat at the world cup be the first time since in 60 years.
0: While you ramble away there, can I ask the red meat question? Yes. You just keep rambling. Turn your mic off. You keep rambling. I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask Peter the red meat question. If Argentina wins, this is Lionel Messi the greatest soccer player of all time? I feel like
3: you would have to say yes, because when you consider what he has accomplished at club level, when you consider that he now would have two international trophies for Argentina and including the granddaddy of them all, of course, I feel like there would be nothing left to parse through in terms of, well, okay, Ronaldo has this and Maradona has this and, you know, Pele has that. and, And it becomes, very difficult to I think go against Messi especially when you consider that in the modern era considering how long he has been playing at this level and how long he has been achieving these accomplishments I feel like that might honestly end the debate that takes nothing away from everybody else Mm -hmm. because I do think it is difficult to obviously compare the eras no matter the sport but If you're looking for a bona fide, like, this might be the greatest player of all time, it's probably going to be Messi if if they end up winning the World Cup.
0: Are there essentially four guys in the conversation? Pele, Maradona, Ronaldo, and Messi? Am I missing anyone? That would probably be it. You can maybe throw Johan Cruyff
3: in there, just in terms of what he has done for the game as well, just Mm -hmm. bringing total football to the world. And, I mean, he was obviously one heck of a player, too. Um, You could throw... Certainly. And this is what I think is so remarkable about like that 90s to 2000s period. You had so many magnificent players, but the likes of Ronaldo and and Ronaldinho and Zidane, all those guys, I feel like had different peaks Mm. and they were so quick. And that's what makes those other four so unique is that they had prolonged periods of what was incredible success.
1: Uh, with regards to the match on Sunday, uh, another one of the storylines that uh, come into hyper-focus is how deep this French squad is. The fact that they were able to Mm -hmm. lose the kind of players that they lost in the lead up. And then on the eve of the tournament, lost Benzema as well. Jason was asking the question the other day about how France has been able to produce this level of talent and the depth of talent. Uh, I tried my best to explain what was going on and I alluded to Claire Fontaine, but we defer to the experts, Peter. So tell us why France is so good at soccer. (laughs)
3: <laughs> well, Claire Fontaine is part of the of the answer in fact, I think it's a pretty big storyline behind the whole thing um, because I believe this was in the eighties um, the French Federation realized that they were lagging behind other nations in in soccer, so they opened up all these different academies quote unquote so basically it is different training centers uh Claire Fontaine being one of them, and they are essentially responsible for recruiting the best players in that depending how big the radius is, 40 kilometers, 50 kilometers. So Clairefontaine has their own region that they recruit from, which tends to be the the hotbed of talent. And immigration does play a part, too, because you look at all the players who are just playing even street soccer in the French suburbs, where kind of Kylian Mbappe grew up and, and, and all these other magnificent players, it's all there. So I think, first of all, it's a, it's a cultural thing, but the players just start out playing very, very young, and then you have the talent identification across the country to be able to bring in the very best players. And then I believe the the age that they can actually start to participate in these French Federation academies is 13 years old. So they come in at 13, they fine-tune them even more, and then they go on to become excellent players because all these French clubs and clubs from around Europe are also scouting them. So it very much is a a uh, it's it, it's quite a fancy network that they have and, and it all stems back to the initiative they put out 30 or so years ago
0: is canada building a training ground in woodbine was is that has that plan gone ahead cuz i remember the announcement that they were going to yeah. do something there
3: yeah, they they are going to open one in Woodbine. They were also looking at Vaughan, um, like just Vaughan specific, but they did hone in on Woodbine, um, and and that's kind of the first step towards I, I think being able to almost follow that, that that French system in a way. And I mean, even the the Whitecaps um, Center in, in UBC mm-hmm. is kind of a pseudo hub for for Canada soccer these days as well. And honestly, they would be. They would do well to probably set one up in Quebec, given how many players are coming through Quebec now. So obviously, Canada being such a vast country, it's, you're inevitably going to have players who slip through the cracks. But that's one way that you can certainly, I think, flesh out the player pool is just having those talent ID camps and, and just having more just a wider net to to cast quite frankly because even morocco did the same thing they opened up a training center mm-hmm. i want to say 15 20 years ago and i think 14 of of the squad that went to this world cup came through that academy so you're kind of seeing the fruits of that labor being bared
1: we're speaking to peter galindo from Sportsnet here on the halford and brush show on sports net 650 uh, I, again i know the world cup final is on sunday i know it's a massive till but we've spent a lot of time it, And quite frankly, everyone knows the stories going into this one. The other interesting thing about the end of a tournament like this is it's very similar to the Olympics in that you start looking towards the next host and the next cycle four mm-hmm. years from now, because that's the inevitability. The torch gets handed off here. So, I, you know, there's been a lot of pieces written over the last couple of days about what a 48-team World Cup is going to look like when it comes to U.S., Mexico, and, of course, Canada. Uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts. Can you give our listeners a real broad overview of what this means in terms of, one, participation from some countries that, quite frankly, were never going to get there under the current format? And then, mm-hmm. two, if FIFA has come any closer to figuring out what the group stage is going to look like?
3: So, in terms of the added qualifiers, um, you're going to end up having, I believe it's now something like seven from South America, um, with the possibility, or I think it's six automatic, potentially seven, depending on the playoff. And then, I believe CONCACAF is also the same, but you're also going to have more teams from Europe. I think there's about three or four more teams coming out of Africa, same with Asia, um, which, you know, quite frankly given what we saw at this world cup just all the upsets that we had more non-conmebol and uefa teams in the knockout stages than we've ever seen before i think that that's really going to help spur on some of these nations who maybe are toiling a little bit because with qualification and john herben talked about this many times in the lead up to to 2022 is that the injection of the FIFA windfalls that you get from qualifying, especially with FIFA's revenues now going up to $11 billion for this cycle, Mm -hmm. it's going to be astronomical for a lot of these countries if they can get in for the first time in ages, if not ever. So that's that side of it. The other side of it, in terms of what the group stage could look like, FIFA today, Johnny Infantino went up to uh, this FIFA council in in Doha today and Mm -hmm. pretty much said, straightforward, that it's going to be 14 groups Good. and I was actually talking to a couple of CSA sources who have been kind of in contact with FIFA and they've pretty much said like, it's, it's pretty much done that they're going to be doing 14 groups. And what they're going to do is they're going to have, um, so two teams advancing and then they're also going to have the best place, third place teams to kind of balance it out. Right. Um, so you're, you're pretty much going to see, I think even more than you saw this year. Um, even more hectic group stage finales, which is kind of what we want to see. Like, that was our one concern when we watched all those games on, you know, in the final match day was, well, if they abolish 14 groups, you'll lose all of the drama and there's more chance of uh, funny business going on in those last games if it was only three team groups.
1: Yeah, and the the report right now is that, the average tournament lasts around 32 days. They're expecting that to increase between like a half a week to a week in length. Interestingly, it's 104 games, which is a staggering amount to think about when the entire thing is played out. And, you know, I, I, I mentioned this because we're going to get games here in Vancouver, which is going to be super exciting. But uh, you also mentioned the, the nations and the regions that are going to be uh, represented So I think it's like Asia gets up to eight teams. Africa gets nine. Europe gets 16 all of a sudden. Uh, CONCACAF gets six. Has there been the confirmation that none of the host countries are going to have to go through qualification or does that still need to be ratified for lack of a better term?
3: No, based on the conversations I've had with people within Canada soccer, that it is confirmed. All three countries are going to be automatically qualified. They're going to skip qualifiers and Another little nugget as well, it looks like the Copa America thing, which, of course, there have been reports that the three co-hosts from CONCACAF, as well as potentially other CONCACAF teams, are going to participate in Copa America. That is basically done as well. So it looks like Canada is going to be playing a Copa America in a couple of years, and that might, it looks like, be hosted in the U.S., um, because Call Me Ball and CONCACAF, as we know, love money more than anybody. So <laughs> that's a great way to make money by hosting these games in the U.S. We saw how successful the Copa America Centenario was in terms of the revenues there. So I don't know how they're going to determine the other three qualifiers, um, but it looks like that Canada, Mexico, the U.S. are going to be going up against South America's elite, which is going to be great for the national team because they need more games of this caliber.
0: Yeah, it'd be so cool to see Canada play against the likes of Argentina or Brazil or Colombia. Uh when do you think Canada will make a decision on the future of John Herdman because we were talking yesterday about decisions that a bunch of countries need to make including Canada but also England and we were kind of throwing around the idea of you know maybe England could you know if Southgate wants to stay He can stay and see how it goes, and then you use the the Euro tournament in 2024 to make a decision going forward. And maybe for Canada, you can make that decision based on how they play at the Copa America.
3: Exactly. And I do think that the review of this World Cup and the entire cycle, which is pretty customary for any country, uh, that's going to go down, I believe, January, February time, just after the holidays. And it's not just a review into John Herdman's performance. It's also going to be a bit of like a back and forth. So um, my understanding is the conversation is essentially going to have Herbman in front of the board. He is going to essentially answer for maybe some of the questions that the board might have of him. Like I'm just spitballing here, but like, let's say um, they were asking like, Hey, what went wrong against Croatia in your eyes? Because they might, think like you know what that was kind of inexcusable that performance and so he explains himself and then obviously maybe gives them the feedback they want but then also they might pose to John is there anything that we could do potentially maybe you know in terms of investing into certain areas of the squad do you maybe need more from from us in this department or that department um so it's going to be a back and forth in that regard so i imagine the next couple of months we'll find out uh you know what Herdman's future is. All signs point towards him staying. Um, the CSAR, understandably, very happy with him. He is pretty committed at this point. Um, I, I say that with the asterisk of what happens in a couple of years if he maybe doesn't get what he wants in terms of that investment. Because for all the talk he had about these FIFA windfalls and how important they are, um, depending on what this labor deal is, We'll see if there actually is enough money to be able to invest in certain areas of the team that he wants. And if he doesn't get it, that could be something that maybe in in a year's time, two years' time, what have you, he thinks, you know what, I'm getting interest from elsewhere. Um, I'm not getting what I need here. Maybe I'll go and and explore this. I don't think that happens. I do think the CSA does whatever they possibly can to make them happy. Um, But that is something to watch for.
1: Uh, Peter, before we let you go, we have to ask you the reddest of the red meat questions for Sports Talk Radio. Who will be the king of the world after Sunday's match? Will it be Argentina or France?
3: I've been going back and forth with this. Um, I'm leaning Argentina only because this um, virus that's apparently spreading through the French squad, it it leaves some uncertainties. Now, Ibrahim Konate was outstanding in that game against Morocco in place of Upamakano, excuse Mm -hmm. me. Yep. Um, so even if, say, Upamecano can't come back in, you have a more than capable replacement in Konate to fill in for him. But if that flu ends up spreading further into the squad, obviously that creates uncertainty. Deschamps might have to completely throw his plan out the window and adjust. Now, it's gone well for France, considering all the injuries they dealt with pre-tournament. But given that this is the biggest game of them all Argentina has been pretty good at adapting to certain situations I mean just look at that Croatia game going to the four in midfield and it paid off flawlessly Um, plus Messi's just on an absolute heater right now like the fact that he has three goals three assists in the knockout stage when he never scored in the knockout stage (laughs) in any World Cup prior to this tournament and the fact that he's playing at this level at 35 years of age you can't bet against him and Argentina as well, being able to get this done, but j- just by the, the the slimmest of margins.
1: Peter, appreciate this as always. Thanks a lot for doing it. Enjoy the match on Sunday; should be great. And we will do this again soon.
3: Absolutely, guys. Appreciate it.
1: YouTube, thanks. That's Peter Galindo, soccer analyst from Sportsnet, here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. A reminder: it is Ask Us Anything Friday, and we're going to do what we learns as well. There's also a little dangling carrot. A pair of tickets to go see the Canucks and Jets tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. We're giving them away. So what you have to do is text to 650-650. That is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can send a What We Learned or an Ask Us Anything. The hashtags there are WWL and AUA. And then if you add a ticket emoji into your text, you'll be entered into the grand prize draw for a pair of tickets to see the Jets and the Canucks in an all-Canadian affair tomorrow night at Rogers Arena. So get them in now. We'll be doing them throughout the
0: show, and we'll announce the winner at or around 8.30. Brady Henderson is coming up next to talk about the Seahawks' loss to the 49ers and where the Seahawks go from here. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.